Sunday changes everything. The stone has been rolled away. The women have received a message. The soldiers have retreated in fear. The disciples have run to the tomb. Sunday changes everything. Doubts are put in their place. Miracles are performed. The disciples eat breakfast made by the king. Jesus is on the loose. And because Jesus is on the loose, death is conquered. Funeral clothes are cast aside. Light shines forth from the tomb. Hope crushes fear. Faith conquers doubt. Belief moves mountains. Relationship consumes religion. God's love wins. Jesus changes everything. Because Jesus is on the loose, your tears are wiped away. Your sin is washed away. Your life will never be the same. Jesus changes everything. And because Jesus changes everything, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus changes everything. We're so glad that you have decided to join us on Easter Sunday morning, and, and what a thrill it always is every year, just getting prepared for that and, and knowing what's coming up and knowing what it means in our life today. We've been going through a story series called The Story, and, and we've been in it for about 12 weeks, and we're taking a break from that this week, but next week we'll start it again. It's a series that takes us from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. We'd love for you to join us next week for that. But today we're going to talk about Easter. It's really the most exciting Sunday that we have the entire year. We didn't get to talk about Palm Sunday last year or last week. So I want to go back just a little bit to this prophecy in Zechariah 9 verse 9. It says this, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. I love this picture of Jesus riding in on a donkey on Palm Sunday and people not only waving palm branches, but laying palm branches on the ground for him to walk across. And these people are so excited as he enters into Jerusalem. Now, there's probably some people that have no idea what's going on. And there's some people that would oppose Jesus at this point. But the majority of those people are so excited that Jesus has come and they're hoping that he will liberate them from their oppressors. They're hoping for, after all the life that they've lived, that hasn't always been pleasant. They're hoping that someone will free them from this, that someone will bring them a brand new life. But that excitement fades away pretty soon when Jesus is arrested and beaten and killed and buried. <clears throat> now, we can't be too hard on the people of that day because the excitement fades away for us pretty quickly, too. When you leave this building today, you'll start with your regular work week tomorrow, and the excitement of what we celebrate today can fade away. So I want to go back, and in the next few minutes, I just want to capture that excitement again. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 5. It's from the message paraphrase to give us a, a, a different feeling about it. It says, now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life emerges. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the message. 
giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Now that message is the most exciting message we could ever receive. There is a new life, a fresh start. And who doesn't want that, really? How many times in your life have you done something or said something or you look back the next day or the next week and go, boy, I just wish I could do that all over again. Don't you wish mulligans were a real thing? You could just get this do-over and, and start it all over again? I think as you sit there today, you could probably think in the next few minutes of 10 things that you just wish you could do to, to start your life all over again. And you just feel like you have to live with those things, like there is no other chance, there's no hope. I had a preacher friend that I worked with years ago who uh, the church didn't pay him a whole lot of money, and, and he was just a very thrifty guy, and, and he drove around in a church van all the time. That was his vehicle that he drove in, and the last I had looked, the church van had 245,000 miles on it. It was a piece of junk, really, looking on it on the inside or the outside. But he just thought, you know, I don't want to be too flashy. This is what I've got, and, and this is how I'll live, until one day... A man came into the church office there, and he asked him, could I borrow your van? And he gave him the keys to that old van. And the man turned around and gave him keys to a brand new van. And he said, I'm going to take this van off of your hands, and there's a brand new van in the parking lot for you, no questions asked. Now, I wasn't there when that happened, but I understand the smile on his face was from ear to ear. It was this joy of something new. That's really what Easter is about. Easter is about bringing to God something that's old and busted and dead and God giving us new. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 11. Listen to his words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what he's saying here is he's predicting his resurrection from the dead. And he's saying, because of my resurrection, because of Easter, anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. Because Jesus is going to come back to life, that means that Anyone who dies and has put their trust in him, they've believed in him, they're going to have a new life in heaven one day. And so when we celebrate Easter, we are celebrating not just the resurrection, but we are celebrating our own resurrection one day because new life begins. There's new life in heaven. The resurrection of Jesus is a, kind of a preview of coming attractions. It's what's going to be true for us one day. But it just seems like we so easily miss this message of Easter. We get bogged down in so many other things. It, it just it's, it happens so many times. Every year it comes around. We just lose the message of that. And it's almost ironic that we lose that message of the eternal life, this new life in heaven, because we're getting so excited about these strange traditions. And there's things like eggs. And I'm not against painting eggs and hunting eggs and eating eggs. In fact, yesterday we had an Easter egg hunt in our backyard. I'm not against handing out bunnies to eat unless they're hollow bunnies. I don't understand the whole idea of hollow bunnies. One father kind of uh, just got by with it by saying the hollow bunny represents the empty tomb. Now, that's a stretch. And that's a father that's too cheap to buy the solid bunnies. Just buy the solid bunnies if you're going to do that. But we've turned Easter into this strange day of odd customs and traditions when really it's all about this new life after death. It's about new life in heaven, and it changes everything. Once we understand that Jesus conquered the grave and that he defeated death, and we have a promise of eternal life, it should change the way we wake up every morning. This weekend, millions and millions of people all over the world will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. 
But it's not just an empty tomb we celebrate. Max Licato said that on that Sunday morning when the angels appeared and the stone disappeared, the first breath of Christ meant the last breath of death. Death is not the end. Death is the beginning to something brand new. Now, that's cause for a serious celebration. I remember reading this story a few years ago of a young man named Craig. His story could be the story of so many people. He, he was a Christian, very active in his church. 34-year-old husband, father of three beautiful little girls. He passed away from pancreatic cancer. Now, Craig kept a blog of his journey through cancer, and it was very moving to read that and see the faith that he and his wife had through this whole journey. It's very inspiring, very encouraging. But you come to the very last entry of his blog, the very last words that he wrote down. And I want to read this because he's writing this knowing that death is just around the corner. He says, just looking at myself in the mirror, I can tell my downward spiral has begun. I'm at my all-time low of about 118 pounds. I have an awkward time shaving my face because it's pure bone, and I feel like I'm having to shave around every bony contour my face has. My yellow eyes constantly remind me my jaundice is settling back in, and this pretty much means that things are going to eventually start shutting down. And there's nothing out there that makes sense for me to do to treat this that we haven't already looked at. And so he says, there's really no hope left. There's really nothing left to try that we haven't already tried. There's nothing left to do that we haven't already done. And he just goes on and he writes this. I am very motivated about what the future has to offer me. There are a lot of reasons to be excited. He says, the encouragement I have that my eternal life will be in heaven and that I will be cancer-free soon puts a smile on my face. At his funeral, his six-year-old little daughter in her pretty dress and her pigtails got up and she read from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's Easter. That's why we celebrate Easter. Now, you read through that blog and you get to the very last sentence he ever wrote, just three words, but it's followed by five exclamation points. This is what he wrote. God is good. God is good. And I'm just telling you that a dying 34-year-old father of three doesn't say that without Easter. Death was not the end. It was the beginning. It was a new life. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The message paraphrases it like this. Death, who's afraid of you now? And Paul is mocking death because death has been defeated. Death has been killed when Jesus rose from that grave, making a way for us to have this new life in heaven. Now, that word new is a great word to describe the book of Revelation, talking about our new life in heaven. At the end of chapter 21 of Revelation, we come to this description where John has been given a glimpse of what heaven would be like, and he says, this is what it's going to be like someday. On that day, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. The old is gone. It's new. Gone are the hospital waiting rooms. Gone are the tear-stained divorce papers. Gone are the motionless ultrasounds. Gone with foreclosure notices. Gone with wheelchairs. Gone with loneliness. Gone with abuse. Gone with 
COVID. It's just totally gone. It's disappeared. God's going to put an end to those things, and everything is going to be new. And that's why we celebrate Easter. But if we're honest, I think most of us would probably say, maybe not out loud, but we'd say, okay, that's good. It's great news. I'm excited for one day that if I put my trust in Jesus, then one day everything will be new, and there will be this new life in heaven. And it's really good to know one day. But what about today? No tears one day, that's great, but right now your heart is broken. No loneliness one day, that's fantastic, but right now you would want nothing more than to just have a family. No heartache, no suffering, no pain one day, that's really good, but to be honest, right now there's a lot of pain. And it's not that you're not excited about one day, it's just that you could use a lot of new right now. Imagine it this way. Imagine you get a phone call today when you get home from an attorney, and, and he finds out, and he tells you that you have this long-lost relative who just won a $640 million jackpot in the lottery. And this relative of yours has decided he's going to give every one of his living relatives a million dollars, so that way people won't hopefully come to him and keep asking for money. But because you're a relative, that means you're going to receive a million dollars. And suddenly you breathe a sigh of relief because you find peace in knowing that all these bills are going to be paid, that the pressure is going to be off for me. But then the attorney explains to you that your relative didn't take the one lump sum. Instead, after taxes, he'll be getting $20 million a year for the next 26 years. And as a result of that, he's decided he's going to give one of his relatives a million dollars every year. And you're a distant relative. So you have year 23. So you're still going to get a million dollars. You're excited about that, but you're going to get it in 23 years. Congratulations on your million dollars. Well, you're still excited. I mean, it's still great news, but it changes how you receive it. I mean, it's nice right now to know that someday in the future you'll be taken care of, to know that it's going to be a, a time where all the pressure is taken off, but that's going to be down the road. And you hang up the phone, you look over at your desk, and there's a lot of bills that have to be paid right now. And I wonder if that's how we often feel when we walk out of church on Easter Sunday. We walk out of church thinking, you know, that's great. New life one day. When we die, one day in heaven, we'll have a brand new life. But by the time you get home, you're just pretty overwhelmed with right now. But what if I told you that the message of Easter is new begins right now? This is the way Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He says that Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And then verse 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Not will begin, has begun. And so that promise of Easter, that promise of the gospel is not just new life one day. The promise of Easter, the promise of the gospel can best be captured like this. New begins now. And if we get this, it changes everything for us. If we live with this reality that it's begun, that eternal life has already started to happen, it changes how we live. It changes our perspective. It changes your passion and it changes your purpose. And so when a Christian dies, it's not that their new life is just beginning. Rather, that new life began on the day they became a Christian, and it's now continuing in a new world. When we become a Christian, it's a new life, but we're still living in the old world. But the new life has begun. 
And so we have this new passion, a new purpose. We have this new perspective. You can see that in the face and in the life of a brand new Christian because they have just found out about this life. They've given their life to Jesus Christ. They become a Christian. They have this excitement that you just can't hold in. They're wanting to volunteer for everything at the church. They're wanting to tell people about Christ however they can. But we still live in an old world. And I was thinking about the one thing that the resurrection gives us that we really need living this new life in an old world. And I'd have to say it's this. We get a brand new power through Christ. That's the one thing. We have this new power in this life. And if you honestly ask people how they're doing, you get past the surface answer of, fine, how are you doing? You'll find that most people would say, maybe not in so many words, maybe not these exact words, but they would say, I'm just tired. I'm just worn out. I'm exhausted. And I think those are the words of a lot of people. Those are the words they would use to describe their life today. Our economy reflects that. Did you know, of course you didn't know, you didn't Google this, but did you know that nearly $4 billion was spent on energy drinks in the United States this last year? The highest ever of any year. Now, that's not a surprise to us, given what last year was like. But that doesn't even count coffee. The average 25 to 34-year-old spends over $2,000 a year on coffee. But if we're honest, we'd say, well, we're just trying to get through. We're just trying to get a little bit of extra energy. We just need a power-up for the day. But what we both know is that nobody has made or created any drink that will give you the power to forgive. There's no drink that can give you the power to forgive someone who's cheated you out of your childhood or someone that's cheated you out of your marriage or cheated you out of your innocence or cheated you out of your retirement. They don't have a drink for that. And there's no drink that gives you the power to stop gambling or stop using or stop lusting or stop spending. There's no drink for that. There's no drink that gives you the power to just get through the divorce or the unemployment or the cancer. The world doesn't offer anything for us, and we can't find that alone in ourselves. But Paul says, because of the resurrection, there's this new power. And this is what he says in Ephesians 1. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same power that brought Christ back from the dead. And my prayer for you is that you would know the power of the resurrection in your life right now. Not one day, but right now. My prayer for you is like Paul's prayer. My prayer for you is that you would not just get through it. You would not just cope with it. You would not just deal with it but that you would experience the power of the resurrection in your life today. My prayer for you is that your life wouldn't just begin the day you die in a new world, but that your life would begin in this old world so that your death is not a period at the end of a sentence, but your death is a comma. Your new life continues in a new world of heaven. But that it would be right now, that it would just start right now, Think of all the things God has given you through Christ. God has given you the ability to forgive other people. You couldn't do that in your own power sometimes. God's given you a new perspective on life, a new identity, a new attitude. He's given you a new purpose. God has given you a new future and a new marriage and a new hope and a new joy and a new peace and a new reason to live. God has given you a new beginning. That's the resurrection. Because Jesus died and rose again. The old life can be left behind. Our sins can be forgiven, and a new life can begin. 
Now, as we talk about this message of Easter, it's clear that Jesus has already done his part. Jesus came to this world, lived as a human on here, lived a a sinful life, went to the place where he died on our behalf and was buried in a grave and rose from the grave, proving that he was who he is. He has done his part, and he's not going to force this on us. And so for us to truly be able to celebrate Easter today, we must have a part in this. It's not just a given. We have to accept this. When we walk about in this new life, this eternal life that we have, and we talk about that to other people, it's almost always followed with a phrase like this, new life in Christ for everyone who trusts Jesus. And maybe today you've never heard this. Maybe you've heard it, but you have never acted on it. Well, here's what God has asked us to do to receive this gift. First of all, we must believe the gospel. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the first gospel sermon, and he said, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. These people saw Jesus perform these miracles, and it wasn't a miracle like your one leg is shorter than the other leg, like anybody can perform today. These were miracles of healing and bringing people back from the dead. He goes on and says, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In other words, Jesus came to this world to save you and you killed him. But God raised him from the dead, proving that he really is the Messiah. And those who heard Peter preach said, what should we do? I I love the description. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. What should we do? Because they believed the facts that Peter told them about Jesus. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Well, then we must repent of sin. You know, we're tempted to teach people easy believism and cheap grace. It's just so easy. If we just want numbers, we do that. If we want to make it easy on people and not offend anybody, we just do that. But we need to be teaching lordship salvation, that we don't just accept Jesus as Savior, but we accept him as Lord. And as our Lord, he has the right to tell us how to live. When the people of Jerusalem asked Peter, what should we do? He responded first by saying, repent. And sin is everywhere in our world, and it just seems like it's getting worse and worse all the time, and it's something we are all guilty of. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are sinners. Now, I know that's not politically correct to say in these days because it might offend somebody, but it's true. It's always been true, and it's still true. And so we may not want to believe that, but it's true about us. Every one of us is a sinner, and Jesus said, if you don't repent, this sin is going to destroy you. And repent simply means to change direction. We've been walking away from God's will. We've just been doing our own selfish thing. But now we believe in who he is and we turn and we walk toward him, walk toward his will for our lives. So let me ask you this. If you believe it, are you ready to repent? Are you ready today to turn and walk toward God? Well, then we respond by confessing our belief in Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It's with the mouth that you confess and are saved. 
when we have people come to us and say, we, we want to give our life to Christ, one of the things we have them do is repeat their confession. Now, it's not magic words. You can mess it up and still get it right. You can say this in your own kind of way. But what we ask people to say is, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he's my Lord and Savior. Two weeks ago, I used a prop in my sermon, and if you know me very well, you know that's really not my thing. But I had a table up here on the stage, and on the table was a box, and the box represented the fact that we are not to put God in a box, but we do that. We say, God, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it, and, and we put God in a box, and we try to limit his power, and we can't do that. And several of you after church said that was a really good example. It was a really good picture for us to have in our minds about not putting God in a box and letting him be God. I had one man that said, I've got a box in the front seat of my car I was going to take out today, but I'm just going to leave it there to remind me that I can't put God in a box. I think that's a good idea. So I thought, what's one image I could leave you with today? What's, what's a picture of what we're talking about today so that when you leave this place, you don't forget the things that we talked about here? And I realized God's already come up with the picture. God already has the image. It's baptism. We respond by being baptized. In Acts 2, when the people said, what should we do? Peter said, repent and turn from your ways. And they said, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 2, verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, the amazing thing to me, there's a couple, 3,000 people in one day, how do you even handle that? But the other amazing thing is that day. These people could not wait. They heard the message, they believed the message and said, we've got to do this today. We're not going to wait for a six-week class that we can take. We're not going to wait till our family's all in town. We're not going to wait till our birthday. And I'm not opposed to those things. I'm just saying they could not wait. They heard the message. They were cut to the heart and said, we've got to do this and we've got to do it right now. And if you're new to church, maybe baptism seems like a strange thing. Maybe you walked in here today for the very first time and you nudged the person next to you and said, why is there a hot tub on the edge of the stage? I kind of like this church and I don't even know why. why. Why is there a hot tub there? Well, it's the picture. It's Easter. And an Easter sermon without mentioning how to accept Christ, an Easter uh, sermon without mentioning baptism, that should never happen. After Jesus died been buried and walked out of his own tomb alive, he's meeting with his disciples and giving them kind of their final instructions before he leaves. And he says this in Mark 6, uh, 16, or 6, 16. He says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Just a few verses later in verse 19, it says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Now, I would say, if this is the last instruction that he gave to his followers before he left, it's pretty important. This is not something we should overlook. Baptism is the image of Jesus dying and being buried and then being raised to walk in a new life. It symbolizes our death to sin, our burial with Christ, and our renewal in him. And so in baptism, a person is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I'm dying to my old life. I'm burying my old self. And by your power, I'm going to rise to walk in a whole new way of living. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. 
And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also live new lives. And so every time a person is baptized, it's a celebration of Easter. It's a celebration of new. And God has this guarantee, no questions asked. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. There's no questions asked. And you may be thinking, yeah, but that, not for me, <laughs> not the way that I've messed up. No questions asked. It's been taken care of by Jesus Christ on the cross. And you just bring the old, broken, busted, the things that you've really made a mess of in your life, and he takes that, and he gives you a whole new life. And if you want to see change, it's going to start right here, right now. And the choice is yours. Do you believe? Are you ready to repent, to change, and follow him? You ready to confess him before people, be baptized into him? You can do every one of those things here today. And it wouldn't be Easter if someone didn't say, for me, new begins right now. I love that Palm Sunday, your king is coming for you. I, I, I can't imagine the feeling when they, they saw that happening. Well, the Bible promises one day, Christ is coming back for us. Your king is coming for you. Are you going to be ready? Today we offer a time of invitation, and if you're ready, uh, I'd encourage you, don't put this off, but we're going to stand and sing here in a moment. You can head toward one of the decision points, so there'll be somebody there to greet you and, and help you in this process. You can be baptized into Christ today. What better day than Easter Sunday? So if you're ready to make that decision, we're ready for you today. Let's stand together and sing.